Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello and welcome back to Black Marriage Therapy, BMT for short. Here we become students of marriage in order to create healthy, long-lasting relationships. I'm your host, Kristen Smith, and in today's episode, we discuss communication. This is the last episode of a three-part series called The Three C's of Marriage. In episode one, we discussed commitment, and in episode two, we discussed connection, which is intimacy. So if you haven't yet, go back and listen to those episodes. Many people believe that good communication in marriage means being able to address and resolve big conflicts. This idea about communication can make it seem like communication is a make it or break it. Either we have it or we don't. This leads to people fearing communication or being overly aggressive towards it. They may say to themselves, if we don't get it right and resolve this problem, we are doomed. Over time in my experience, I have learned that this approach to communication often leads to feelings of exhaustion or defeat. In this episode, I would like to offer you all a different perspective on communication. When approaching communication, we should be focusing on the how versus the what. Communication in relationship is less about the specific issue we are discussing, but how we discuss that issue. When we think about it this way, it seems a bit more manageable. Focusing on how we communicate, especially in conflict, is more in our control and therefore more achievable. Before I continue, I just want to address my voice. <laughs> I know it sounds like I got an elephant, a frog, a cat, a dog, and all the different things in my throat, and I did. Um, I am getting over a cold. Thank God it's not the Rona, um, but please bear with me in this episode, and I do apologize for my stuffy nose-sounding voice. <laughs> so... Before we jump into conflict resolution, which is usually um, the biggest thing that people are concerned about when it comes to communication, everyone kind of wants to know and understand like, well, how do I deal with the problems? How do I deal with the problems? And I think that is important. But before we get there, I want to start with some context when it comes to communication. So let's just start basic. What is communication? Communication in its simplest form, definition, is the exchange of information. That is all. And it is, it seems very simple and very basic. And it is. Communication ultimately is about two people exchanging information. How is it that the definition of communication can be that basic and yet seems so impossible to master? And that's what we're going to talk about today. It is basic, but what happens is sometimes we add layers of things that makes it a little bit more complex. Now, there's probably a whole bunch of reasons, but in my experience and from what I've learned, I'm going to talk about three things that makes this very simple definition a little bit more complex. The first thing is how how we communicate. The second thing is uh, communication amongst gender. 
And the third thing, which we touched a little bit about in the beginning, is conflict. So how do we communicate? According to Dr. Moravian, I hope I'm saying that right, and his research on communication, um, he broke down communication into three parts. If you uh, took a communications class in college, you may be familiar with this research. What his research showed is that communication is broken up to three parts. That is word, tone, and body language. 7% of how we communicate is our words. It's actually the smallest percentage. 38% of how we communicate is our tone. That's the way we say the things we say. And 55% of how we communicate is our body language. The conclusion is that simply 93% of communication is nonverbal in nature. When looking at this research, we can see how this knowledge of how we communicate adds to the complexity of communication. So now it's not just about transferring information, but add to it what somebody says, how they say it, and the type of body language that they use. This may make communication a bit more difficult because now the information that I'm trying to transfer to another person may be received in a different way. Although my words said one thing, my tone and my body language may have said another, and therefore the message may have been misconstrued. For example, I come home from a long day and I see that the trash can is overflowing and is full. Now, this is like the third or fourth time that I had to remind my husband to take out the trash, right? Now, the message I want to transfer to him is, Junior, take out the trash right now, right? But instead, I might say something like, Junior, the trash is getting full, so I said that, I said it with a very pointed tone and you can't see me, but my neck was rolling, my eyes was rolling. The question is, did I get my message across? Did I transfer the information that I want him to receive? What did my words say? My words said, Junior, the trash is getting full. So mm, no, I kind of failed on that. My tone said, bruh, if you don't get up right now, we're going to have a problem. We'll have an issue. And my body language was like, do it right now. So the question is, did I communicate? Well, kind of, but not fully, you know, and that's just one example of how communication, when you add the complexity of tone and words and body language can make it a little bit more convoluted. Now, a better way to have done that, I could have kept my tone. I could have kept my body language because I was adamant about him taking out the trash, but I could have made my words more clear, which is junior, take the trash out right now. But instead I said, the trash is getting full, hoping that he would interpret that as get my behind up and take the trash out right now. <laughs> okay. Which happens a lot. So in the future, when it comes to how we communicate, I'm going to practice making sure that my body language, my tone, and my words are all working together to convey the message that I'm trying to get across. So now we're starting to add layers to this very simple definition of transferring information, which is the definition of communication. The second thing that can make communication a little bit more difficult is gender. No matter how you slice it, there is overwhelming research that shows that men and women communicate differently. 
And those differences add complexity to communication between two people in a relationship. Sometimes it can seem like two people speaking two different languages. So what do we know about communication when it comes to women and men? Generally, and and all these are generalizations, not every woman is like this and not every man is like this, but generally women, their goal in communication is rapport. Rapport is building relationship. And I think this is why women are often very detail oriented when it comes to communication. So for example, um, a woman may come up to you and say, hey, I saw a red car today. Um, but that's usually not the end of the conversation. She may say, oh, I saw a red car today. And it reminded me of this red car that my dad used to have. We used to spend a lot of time in that red car. We fixed it up, blah, blah, all this stuff. And she's adding those details because she's trying to connect to you. Generally, that is the purpose of communication when it comes to women. We are trying to build a rapport, connection. Men, on the other hand, when they are communicating, usually their goal in communication is report, which means that they are just trying to com- convey information. They are just trying to tell you exactly what it is, right? So this often happens. You'll ask a man, oh, how was your day? And a man would say, it was good. That's it. Nothing else. <laughs> Because the question you asked him was, how was your day? And for him to report to you how his day was, it was good. The The goal of communication for them is not necessarily building report generally. It's more about just getting that, that information to you. Now, when it comes to relationship, this may make things a little bit more difficult. Um, because sometimes men may feel like women are kind of like, you know, drawing out and like, Hey, get to the point, get to the point, you know? And, and it's not about getting to the point. It's about connecting with you on the way to the point. And for men, when they are talking, a woman may be like, yo, like you dry, like you stale, like, is there anything else that happened is, you know what I'm saying? And the man's like, well, that's what happened. That's what you asked me, you know? So navigating how we speak differently when it comes to gender, gender, it's like navigating two different languages. Now, if you went to somebody else's country and they spoke obviously a different language to them. Would you go up to them frustrated and angry, shake them and say, speak English. I don't understand you speak English. You probably wouldn't. Instead, what would you do? You would try your best to figure out how to best communicate with one with that person. And this is the approach that I want um, couples to understand about communication when it comes to gender differences in communication. You have to stretch yourself and lean yourself to the way this person communicates in order to communicate more effectively. Because the purpose is to transfer the information, not necessarily to bicker and argue about how this person is communicating versus how you communicating, who's wrong and who's right. So here is a quick tip for men and women. So women, when you are communicating with your man, and also you can practice this with brothers and friends and stuff like this. This is generally how men speak. Practice being more direct and try not to interpret what men are saying. Now, Let me tell y'all how I'm talking to myself, okay? Because this is a daily challenge. Um, 
women, we are masters at the nonverbal. So we do not just say, oh, his word said this and therefore that's what he means. Um, oftentimes we look at the tone, we look at the body language and we know how to like take all that whole picture and say, oh, this is what he means. Now, sometimes that can lend to our benefit, but also it can lend to our detriment. And we have to practice uh, being very direct and straightforward. And if he says something, taking it as face value and trying not to interpret. Now, if you have an interpretation, maybe you can ask him, hey, I am sensing that maybe this may mean something else. Is this what you're trying to say? And if, and if he says, no, this is what I'm trying to say. Take it for face value, trust and keep moving. And if it's not true, it'll come out in time. But, you know, it's sometimes it's hard to just leave it there. If, you know, a man say, oh, I'm fine. Everything's okay. And you're looking, you're looking at him up and down. You're like, Mm-mm, nah, he off. No, 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 no. It's not fine or whatever. And you keep trying to go and trying to go. But he may be saying, I'm fine and everything's okay. And that's it. Now for men, learn to read more than just the words she is saying. If she says she's fine and her tone and her body language obviously is showing that she is not. Please don't walk away and say, well, she said she was fine and think that's okay. No, we have to do better. We have to stretch a little bit more. Even if you think it's annoying, even if that's not how you communicate, that is the language that your woman speaks. And you have to lend yourself and stretch yourself a little bit to come into her world and say, oh, baby, I know you're saying you're fine, but something about your body language is saying that you're not. Be a little bit more open to do that. Also, use more detail to connect with your partner. If your woman comes up to you and says, hey, baby, how was your day? When she's asking you that, it's because she wants to connect with you. If you say, oh, babe, the, my day was good. That's great. That gives her a little bit of information, but most likely what you're going to get, she's going to ask you a question. Oh, well, how was your morning? Well, how was lunch? Did you talk to that coworker? Did you, you know what I'm saying? So just skip all that and just give her a few more details. Say, you know what? My boss did ask me about such and such meeting and I had this report to turn in and I was feeling a little bit overwhelmed at this time and blah, 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 because she's trying to connect with you. When you give her those details, it gives her insight and to your day, your feelings, your emotions, and how everything went. So practice giving a little bit more detail. This really helps the connection piece when it comes to uh, communicating with a woman. Now, what I'm saying to you all may seem super simple, right? Just tips and tricks, talking about tone and body language, talking about understanding how women speak and how men speak. Um, but I do want to stress the fact that this is actually super important because when we practice it, it's a beautiful thing. It's sweet. It's amazing, right? Being patient with one another, understanding that we speak different languages and stretching ourselves. But what happens is when, when these things are negative, they can really be negative. I want to share a story with you guys. And it's about my mom and dad, which I often talk about on this podcast because their marriage, uh, for a while shaped the way I saw marriage. And I remember them bickering and I remember them arguing. And I remember that faithful day. And I've talked about this faithful day before, 
but the fateful day where my mother said to my father with her words, she said, leave, I don't want you here. But her body language and her tone was desperately crying out and pleading, please don't give up on me. Please don't leave me with these children. Please, please, please. I know it's hard, but fight for me. And my father's response was that, well, her words said, leave, get out of here. And he did not look into it. He was not inquisitive. He was not curious. And I'm not saying it's his fault, but there was no willing to stretch there and he got up and he left. And that was the last time that he was in the home as, as a married couple. So I just want to stress the fact that these little nuances, when it comes to communication, practicing these things, stretching yourselves, lending yourselves to your spouse and how they see things can really make a positive change in a relationship. So We talked about the definition of communication, how we communicate, and communication when it comes to gender. The last thing I want to talk to you guys about is conflict. The big C word, (laughs) conflict. Uh, Sometimes we do all that we can do, right? We have good tone. We are, you know, using good words and, you know, we're remembering that our partner may communicate differently and yet we have conflict. Oh, why is it? Why can't we just have this perfect union where we don't have any conflict? Unfortunately, guys, and I'm sorry to burst your bubble, conflict is inevitable in relationships. You can be doing everything right and conflict still happens. And that is just because we are two unique individuals with two different perspectives and different experiences in life. And as long as those two people are trying to come together, there will be conflict. But conflict doesn't have to be a bad thing. As I mentioned in the very beginning of this episode, I want to stress the fact that sometimes it's not about the issue itself, but how we address that issue. And that in itself makes a difference between healthy communication in a relationship or not so healthy communication in a relationship. But first, let's talk about um, conflict. So these are some challenges to communication. These are some things that cause conflict, right? The first thing is not communicating. If you never say the thing if the problem is never addressed or acknowledged, all you're doing is sweeping it under the rug and eventually it's going to come out. Another thing is fearing that things will get worse. Sometimes we just don't have conversations and don't address things just because we're afraid that the person's reaction or maybe they may not like what I'm going to say. So we just like be quiet. We don't communicate. And uh, Jordan Peterson, a psychologist, says that conflict delayed is conflict multiplied. You cannot run away from it. All it's going to do is pile up, get worse, and eventually come out. Another uh, challenge to communication or something that causes conflict in, in a relationship is expecting your spouse to be a mind reader. Sometimes we don't even realize that we're doing this, um, but you know, you may have an emotion or a reaction to something and you just retreat within yourself and you say like, oh, wow, I can't believe he said that or can't believe she said that, I can't believe she did that. And 
you are not even expressing yourself and letting them know that you're upset. And that can cause conflict because you're setting expectations that this person is not even aware of. Um, the next thing is trying to be right. No one wants to be in a relationship with a lawyer. And I don't mean as an occupation. I mean as a spouse. <laughs> if you are in constant litigation, if you always feel like you are bickering with somebody and the, the goal of this whole conversation is to win, is to be right. That is super, super exhausting and causes more trouble than it needs to. Okay, so trying to be right, not beneficial. The next thing is getting defensive or shutting down. Now, as a therapist, this is exciting to me. Not that getting defensive and shutting down is a good thing in itself, but what getting in defensive and sh or shutting down shows me is that somebody has been triggered most of the time. When these, when people have these reaction, you're being triggered and being triggered in itself is not a bad thing, but it is an indicator that maybe there's something in you that needs to be addressed and healed. Most of the time when people are uh, being triggered, it's because they feel unsafe. So something about that conversation, something about the way things were said reminded you of something that makes you feel unsafe. So if you are a type of person in conversation, in communication, where you get defensive or you shut down, this may be an indicator for you to stop, pause, reevaluate, reassess, have some self-awareness and figure out what did my spouse say that triggered me and how can I address this? Another challenge to communication, something that creates conflict, is bad listening. We live in 2022, okay? We have laptops, cell phones, we have tablets, we have TVs, we have cars even that can grab our attention and distract us. And bad listening is like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, I heard you. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm, yeah, I heard you. But you didn't hear anything that they said. And that causes a riff in the relationship, okay? And causes conflict. Another thing, or the last thing I should say, being overly aggressive, being overly passive, or being passive aggressive. Oh my goodness. Being overly aggressive is like having a conversation with a lion. Like imagine sitting on a couch and the couch, the, the lion sits on the other couch and you guys are staring at each other. What are you thinking about when you're having a conversation with a lion? You are scared to death. You don't want to speak. You want to make sure this line's not going to eat you. And that's what it's like having a conversation with somebody who's just overly aggressive. They're not calm. They're not soft in their demeanor. It's like, I don't even want to have a conversation with you. The next one is being overly passive. You're very, uh, uh, you're very agreeable, not being direct or assertive. How can you assert yourself and say, this is what I want, this is what I like and I don't like, if everything you say is, yes, no problem, oh yeah, I'm okay with that, yes, I'm fine with that, that is not a healthy way to deal with conflict. You know, you may think that, oh, well, you know, I'm just keeping everything cool, copacetic, but really what you're doing is just robbing yourself um, to be a part of these conversations and to be a part of this relationship. You're just letting one person rule the entire relationship. And then of course we have passive aggressive and being passive aggressive is like stabbing someone with a pin needle, right? So you are afraid to be direct and say what you want to say, 
So instead, what you do is just take tiny jabs at somebody, hoping that they'll get the point, which is super immature. And I know this all to be well because I've struggled with it myself, (laughs) passive aggressiveness. Um, And again, not healthy and doesn't add to healthy communication. So that's conflict. How do we go from conflict to conflict resolution? Dr. John Gottman, in his book, The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work, states that 69% of marital conflict is perpetual. Bro, this thing blew my mind. That means that almost 70% of the issues that you're having in your relationship will not go away. That's so counterintuitive to what we've been taught about communication. We've been taught that communication is always about resolving the issue, like having the the fortitude and the strength to to get to the resolution, get to the resolution. But if 70%, almost 70% of our conflicts are not even going to be resolved, what like what is the point? Like why are we even having this communication? Well, I'll tell you. The point is problems are always going to be there. Now that was 69%. So 31% of the issues that we have will be able to be resolved, but there's always going to be a problem present. And this is why I believe we should focus on how we address these problems rather than the problems themselves. They're always going to be there. So how do we do this? How do we do the how? Um, You should definitely read The Seven Principles of Making Marriage Work. That particular chapter that we're talking about is speaking of the two kinds of marital conflict. That's chapter eight. Um, But the entire book is a wealth of knowledge. Um, And he goes more into detail if you are interested in learning Uh, more about how to make your marriage work, communication, and things like that. But just for this episode, I'm going to talk about one way to learn how to focus on the how is by establishing rules of engagement. And that is simply setting boundaries around the way we communicate. Now, if you're not married yet, you can practice this with friends, have a conversation about them, about how we're going to address issues and start practicing how to create healthy conversations around conflict. And I'm telling you, it will definitely benefit you in your marriage. So every couple, every relationship have their own unique set of rules of engagement. These are things that this couple has sat down and said, Hey, in order for us to communicate in a healthy way, I really need these things. I really need you to have good tone. I really need you to have respect or whatever that thing is. Um, so What I'm going to share with you is Junior and I's eight rules of engagement. Just to give you an idea, an example of what it looks like to set communication boundaries. Our first rule of engagement is respect. There is no way for both of us that we can move forward if we are feeling disrespected. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't complain about what we want to complain about. This doesn't mean that we get upset, but we are both mindful about how upset we get and how we speak to one another. So respect is absolutely paramount number one on our list. The next thing is that we do not use absolutes, right? And example of an absolute is all, none, uh, must, accept, 
uh, every, not always, just, only, never. These are all absolutes. But let me give you a real example. You always leave the dishes dirty. You never shut the door after you walk through the, the thing. You never take the trash out on time. Using this language in our relationship, we have seen, we have found that it distracts from the conversation. As soon as we say always, as soon as we say never, the person says, show me, prove it. When did you, oh, always, I always do that. Okay. Tell me when I always did it. And what we found is that when we use these absolutes, it distracts from the conversation. Another rule is that we have allow your spouse to try again. Now, uh, John Gottman actually talks about this more in that chapter eight that we're talking about, and he calls it making repairs. If we mess up, if we say something in the wrong tone or we're disrespectful, we would reach out to one another. We pause the conversation and say, Hey, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say it like that. And the other person allows me to, allows us to try again. So if I say something, maybe, with a very harsh tone that definitely could have been disrespectful. And I didn't mean to say it like that, but I'm upset. I say, Hey babe, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. Can I try again? And he says, okay. Now the willingness to be able to one, try again and receive the person trying again makes or breaks conflict in communication. You guys got to read that chapter, read the book entirely, but that chapter really goes into detail about this. Um, the next thing that I have, and we made this up ourselves, is called cheat for your spouse. <laughs> Okay. Don't cheat on your spouse. Okay. I didn't say cheat on your spouse. Cheat for your spouse. If you are having a dialogue, you having a conversation and you realize that this is not going where I wanted to go. This is not what I was expecting. We're going off the rails. It is a hundred percent. Okay. To blow the whistle, pause and say, Hey, let me tell you what I need from you. Let me tell you, I know you're you're going off the rails. You're talking about something else, but really in this conversation, I just need you to show me support and then go back in. Like, it's okay. Like we're on the same team. We're not fighting against each other and it's okay for you to pause and break and just tell the person directly, Hey, I need you to do this and this and this. Another thing we talk about is being willing to be wrong. Even when you're right in a relationship, you're wrong. And I know that's very hard to hear and that may be controversial, but even if that means looking for the the smallest way for you to take responsibility puts you in a posture of humility and understanding. And even if that means, you know what, like my perspective on this issue was wrong. I was uneducated about it or I didn't have a full understanding. You know, maybe you didn't actually do the thing that was wrong, but there is some form of responsibility that you can take. And I found that this having this posture of heart really opens us up to have a softer approach when it comes to conflict. The next thing is be accountable. If you are the person who did the thing, say sorry. I know it's hard, but we got to put our big girl pants on and our big boy pants and deal with whatever trauma issues that is stopping us from being able to say sorry and just say sorry. And the next thing is don't lie. Be honest. Emotional honesty. It can be difficult because it takes vulnerability, but being honest allows the person to make a choice. When you lie to someone, even about your emotions, you are robbing them of the choice. 
if you're having an argument with somebody and you say, you know what, I don't really care. Um, you know, it's fine. It's whatever. You are not being honest. You're lying to that person. And now that person can walk away and say, well, they said it was fine. So I'm just going to leave it at that. If you're honest with the person and say, Hey, actually, I'm not okay with that. This is what I would like. This is what I expect, blah, 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 blah. Then that person has a choice. They can say, oh, I can honor that request or I cannot honor that request. And now you see for yourself what you can really do about the the situation. But if you are lying and not being emotionally honest, you're not helping your relationship. The last thing that we practice and we practice this very often, almost every single day is become second nature to us is I statements. I statements are another way to help keep the conversation focused on the conversation, making the problem a problem. If you use you statements, what happens is you're blaming that person and you're making the person the problem instead of focusing on the problem. You end up distracting the conversation to something else rather than focusing on the issue at hand. An example of this would be, you make me feel like I'm not important in this relationship. A better way to say that is I feel like I am not a priority. What happens is that person doesn't have any right over your I statement. They can't get triggered or anything because you're taking responsibility for your own emotion. You're saying, I don't feel like I'm a priority. Using this tool helps keep the conversation focused on what the problem is. And it allows the person to evaluate what you're saying without getting defensive. So these are Junior and I's rules of engagement. If you are married or even engaged, I would highly encourage you guys to sit down and have a little talk about the boundaries we set when we communicate. This will give you a uh, a great foundation when it comes to communication. If you practice this, especially when things are great, you'll be ready for when things are not so great. So I encourage you guys to sit down, make your own rules of engagement. It may be three, it may be four, it may be eight like we have here, but it's absolutely necessary and definitely, definitely uh, beneficial to your relationship. To end this episode, I would love to leave you with this quote from The Seven Principles of Making Marriage Work by Dr. John Gottman. And he says, when choosing a long-term partner, you will inevitably be choosing a particular set of unsolvable problems that you'll be grappling with for the next 10, 20, or 50 years. Marriages are successful to the degree that the problems you choose are ones you can cope with. Thank you all for tuning into this episode of Black Marriage Therapy. If you haven't yet, follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We're at Black Marriage Therapy. Thanks again for listening and see you again next week when we will be discussing heartbreak in marriage.